Well, good morning. I'm excited to be with you guys as we get into the final message in our series called The Good Work. It's been about making a difference in the world because changing the world is what Jesus died for. And for the last three weeks, we've been tracking through the book of Nehemiah and seeing this incredible true story of how God used a cupbearer from Persia to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And it all started when Nehemiah's brother and a couple of friends came from Jerusalem to visit Nehemiah. And they told Nehemiah about the state of Jerusalem, that it had never really recovered from the Babylonian invasion 140 years ago, that the walls still lay in heaps of rubble, and that the gates were burned and destroyed. And this broke Nehemiah's heart and gave him a burden to do something about it. And so risking not only his job, but even his life, he went before the king of Persia, and he shared his burden to go back to his homeland and be a part of the rebuilding. And the king, through the power of God, working in his heart, allowed Nehemiah to go back and to be a part of that project. We've been talking about catching a vision for what God has called us to do and that it begins with feeling a burden or a passion to meet a need and then a commitment to meet that need through the power of God. And Nehemiah sure did need the power of God because when he came to Jerusalem and he looked at the gaping holes in the wall and looked at the pile of rubble on the ground, he was up against some very difficult circumstances. This was not going to be an easy project, but that wasn't his only setback. In fact, he faced opposition from the enemies of Israel. It started out as mocking, but progressed to death threats and even organized attacks against the guys rebuilding the wall. But Nehemiah was able to overcome these obstacles through confidence in God. Confidence that God had been faithful in the past and that God would continue to be faithful. That he would give them victory and that they would be able to complete this project. We've been talking about how we too can come across some really difficult circumstances in the work that God has called us to do. And sometimes we might even face opposition But just like Nehemiah, we can overcome these obstacles when our confidence is in God. And then last week, we talked about the kinds of people that God used to work on this project. And it wasn't your typical wall-building crew that you would expect. God used priests, perfume makers, goldsmiths, merchants, and one guy even brought his daughters to work on this wall. You know, maybe there were carpenters, maybe there were stonemasons who helped on this project, but what's so interesting is that they're not mentioned in the book of Nehemiah. Instead, the focus is on the not-so-qualified guys, and that can be an encouragement to us that even when we don't feel like we have any flashy skills or talents, even if we think that somebody else can do the job better than us, God can use us as long as as we are willing. And when we started this, this series, I shared one of my biggest fears. One of my greatest fears is that I'll get to a point in my life where I'm just content with mediocrity, where my heart doesn't break for the things that God's heart breaks for. 
that I would be like the nobles of Tekoa, just sitting on the sidelines and watching other people do the work. My fear is that I will succeed at the things that don't really matter, that I will climb up the ladder of success just to realize that when I make it to the top, that the ladder is leaned against the wrong wall. And so what is success? When I was in high school, my dream for my life was to have a job that made a lot of money so that I could have a lot of really nice things. I thought that this was the definition of success and that it would bring me happiness. But then God started working on my heart and I heard a couple of sermons that contrasted worldly success with the things that last forever, the souls of people in the word of God. And so I just started praying that God would give me a burden for lost people and that he would give me a passion for his word. And I didn't see a change overnight. But this different focus in my life, this focus on the things that are eternal, literally changed the whole course of my life. And I think it's so amazing that when we have that kind of focus and when we do the work that God has called us to do, it not only makes a difference in the world, but it even makes a difference for eternity. And we can make a difference for eternity when we meet spiritual needs. So up until this point, we've been talking about Nehemiah rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. But let me suggest something that's pretty mind-blowing, is that the completion of this wall was not actually the pinnacle of Nehemiah's achievements. In fact, his victory was even greater than building a wall. And this morning, we'll be talking about how we can achieve victories bigger than a wall. And we'll be doing that as we get into the book of Nehemiah to see how we can make a difference for eternity. When Nehemiah built the wall, he met a very real physical need. In building the wall, he secured the safety of Jerusalem. Now they would have defense against their enemies. And in building the wall, he boosted their morale because they were in such a place of shame and discouragement from being in ruin for 140 years. But through this project, Nehemiah helped lift them out of that. And they also built houses and began to occupy the city again. All of this is an incredible achievement carried out through the work of God. But just meeting this physical need, this 52-day project, was not the pinnacle of Nehemiah's achievements. Instead, he took things a step further. He used the platform that he had in being a leader in this project, and he, there we go, <laughs> and he took things a step further to meet the spiritual needs in Israel. He spent 12 years as the governor of this city, not just providing for their physical needs, but also meeting their spiritual needs. And so many of us, we're on this step and we meet physical needs on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's a great thing. Maybe you work as a nurse and you meet people's health needs. Maybe you work as a school teacher and you meet needs for education. Or you work in the trades and through your building, you improve people's quality of life. And that's a platform that God has given each of us. And that's a great thing. But what I want to say this morning is I believe that God is calling us to take things just one step further and to meet spiritual needs so that we don't just make a difference in the world, 
but that we can make a difference for eternity. And so this morning we're going to be getting back into the book of Nehemiah to see three steps for how we can make a difference for eternity. And if you'd like to follow along with me, turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. And the first step that we can take in making a difference for eternity is to humbly recognize your need for God. It says in verse 1, When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read aloud from it from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, others who could understand, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Now think about what Israel needed most. They needed to rebuild the wall. They needed to fix the gates, even build new houses and occupy the city again. But these were not their greatest needs. Their greatest need was for God and for them to recognize their need for God. You see, they were in such a hot mess because over 140 years ago, their ancestors did not recognize their need for God. Instead, they followed after idols and disobeyed God's commandments. And so God raised up the Babylonians to defeat them and to carry them away into captivity. And now in Nehemiah's generation, they finally are getting back on their feet. They've rebuilt the walls. They've repaired the gates and they're moving into the houses. But all of that could be undone again if they went back to rebelling against God and got caught up in that cycle again if they were no longer recognizing their need for God. And so here now, we have this new character. His name is Ezra. He's Nehemiah's buddy, and he's the teacher of the law, which is just the first few books of the Bible written by Moses. And it says that he read from the law from morning until the afternoon. Now, I want to get notes from this guy as a preacher, how he could just read God's word from morning till noon, and the people still paid close attention. But it says a few verses down that they also had to translate what he was reading. And they had to translate it because so many people in that congregation did not even speak the Jewish language. That over the course of that 140 years, they had been intermarrying with other nations and no longer were familiar with the language that their scripture was written in. And then they had to explain the word of God to them because for 140 years, the word of God had been rejected and neglected. And so thanks to Ezra and Nehemiah, the people once again sat under the teaching of God's law and they soaked it in. They humbly recognized their need for God. And we can achieve victories bigger than a wall. And we can make a difference for eternity when we humbly recognize our need for God 
I believe that it starts with us. I like to say that ministry should come from the overflow of what God is doing in our own hearts. And if we humbly recognize our need for God, I believe that this kind of attitude can spill out of us and be contagious. Are you humbly recognizing your need for God and are you leading others to do the same? That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That he offers life to the fullest. That God is our refuge and strength and that he is our help in time of trouble. And that God's ways are always best. And that when we follow in his ways, that we are on a sure foundation. And that the things of this world are shallow and dim. But the fulfillment that God offers is like nothing else. When you look at people's needs, do you see deeper than what's just on the surface? Do you see more than just a physical need? Do you recognize their need for God? And are you willing to take a next step in helping them recognize their need for God? The Israelites recognized their need for God, and they made commitments to follow God's commandments. And we'll see this in chapter 10, if you'd like to turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 10. And the first commitment that they made to God from sitting under this teaching was not to marry people from the other nations. And back in this day, God had this commandment for the Israelites because marrying people from foreign nations was pretty much the same thing as marrying an unbeliever. And the influence of these other nations always steered the Israelites away from God. So in verse 30, they say, We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the people around us or to take their daughters for our sons. And then they made a second promise and to keep the Sabbath. And you can see this in verse 31. And the Sabbath day is the day that God appointed for this nation to take a break from their work and to rest. And so in verse 31 it says, When our neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. Every seventh year, we will forego working the land and we will cancel all debts. So here they're making the commitment to not buy or sell food on the Sabbath day, but to treat it as a day of rest as God commanded. And they also promised to care for the house of God. In verse 37, it says, Moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God, to the priests, the first of our ground meal, our grain offerings, the fruit of all our trees and our new wine and olive oil, and we will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. These guys made the commitment to give a portion of their resources to the work of the temple and also a portion of their resources to the guys who worked in the temple so that they could be dedicated to the work there. See, for Nehemiah, the good work that God had for him did not stop short once he finished building the wall. Along with Ezra the teacher, they led the city to recognize their need for God and to make a commitment to follow God's ways. They led the people to make decisions that matter for eternity. 
But even once they got to that point, Nehemiah's work was not done. And he had to keep the Israelites on track to follow through with their promises. And this is the second step that we're going to look at. That we can make a difference for eternity when we courageously call others to live with integrity. See, Nehemiah was the governor of Jerusalem for 12 years. But at the end of those 12 years, he had to go back to Persia to serve as the king's cupbearer for a little bit longer and to keep up tabs with the king. But after a little while, he came back to Jerusalem. And when he came back, he found that the nation of Israel had just gone back to their old ways. That without Nehemiah's supervision, they did not stay on track in their commitments to God. You remember what those three commitments were. They committed to not marry foreigners. They committed to not violate the Sabbath, to not work on it. And they committed to take care of the temple. And in the time that Nehemiah was gone, guess what the people started doing? They neglected the temple, violated the Sabbath, and married the foreigners. And all of this goes down in chapter 3, the last chapter in this book. So if you'd like to follow along with me there, we're doing a lot of flipping around. So chapter 13, verses 10 through 11 This is what Nehemiah realized when he came back. He says, I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, Why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. You see, this situation It's pretty much how it would look if everybody here in this church just stopped giving to the ministry. Well, if that was the case, I would be finding a nine-to-five somewhere else just to make ends meet, and there wouldn't be a whole lot of work getting done at the church. And so this is the situation that's going on. If the Levites, who are the temple workers, were not getting the resources from the Israelites giving their offering to God, then they had to go back and work their own fields, and the temple just became neglected. Well, this wasn't the only problem going on, and Nehemiah just got on a roll in calling these guys to live in integrity. And in verse 15, Nehemiah calls them out for working on the Sabbath. It says in verse 15, In those days... I saw people in Judah treading winepress on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all of this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. The people of Israel were not living in integrity. Instead of keeping the Sabbath as a day of rest, They were just going to the market, buying the food that they needed, and selling to others. But Nehemiah called them out. And then Nehemiah also called them out on marrying the foreigners. In verse 23, it says, Moreover, in those days I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. 
Remember earlier, Ezra, the priest or the teacher of the law, is reading scripture. And that scripture had to be translated because the people among the Jews, they didn't know the Jewish language. They didn't know the language that their scripture was written in. And here the cycle is starting all over again. They're marrying these foreigners and their kids are growing up not even knowing the language that their scripture is written in. And I think it's probably a stretch to assume that these Jews were still teaching their kids the word of God when they didn't know the language. And we can make a difference for eternity when we courageously confront those who are disobeying God. And I know that confrontation, it takes a lot of courage. And it doesn't come naturally for some of us. My tendency is to avoid those kinds of hard conversations. For about the last year, I've been sharing the back half of a duplex house with another intern. Some of you guys know Lane. And in this course of the year, I've come to realize that I just try to avoid these hard conversations. Like, if it's talking about who has to do the dishes or who hasn't cleaned the bathroom in over a week, like, I'd rather just take it upon myself to do that stuff and not have the conversations. I'm not even that confrontational in my dreams. Like, I promise this isn't going to get super weird, but a couple weeks ago I had this dream where I was in my kitchen and I opened up a drawer that should have, like, forks and spoons in it. And instead, this drawer was covered in cooked chicken. It was like, this chicken was like on the verge of going rotten. So I'm like, Lane, why is our kitchen drawer full of chicken? He's like, hey man, I was busy. I didn't have time to put it in the fridge. I'm like, man, it is not okay to have this chicken just sitting here in the kitchen. Like, this stuff is going bad. And even in my dream, I'm like telling myself, all right, Be confrontational, be confrontational, like don't just let this go. And so my confrontation to him was, Lane, I really get frustrated when you just leave your chicken in the kitchen drawers. (laughs) Yeah, not, not courageous confrontation at all. And I've come to realize that my tendency to avoid confrontation is pretty selfish. Like, I'll rationalize in my mind that I don't want to have a hard conversation with somebody because it's hard for them. But in reality, I avoid confrontational talks because they're hard for me and they make me uncomfortable. But imagine the difference that we can make for eternity if we take that step to call others to live in integrity, if, we, if God can use us to steer another believer back onto the right track, to renew their commitment to God, imagine the difference it not only makes in that believer, but in the lives of other people who come into contact with that believer who has a renewed commitment to God. And the next step that we're going to look at this morning is really sets the foundation for effectively calling others to live with integrity. And that is for us to live with integrity, to consistently live with integrity in all that you do. We're going to go back to Nehemiah chapter 6. So if you'd like to follow along, you can turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 6, and it'll also be on the screen, starting in verse 10. This is Nehemiah writing about himself. He said, One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, 
son of Deliah, son of Mehetbul, who was shut in at his house. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. And I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. Then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. See, at this point, The walls of Jerusalem had just been repaired. The gaps were filled in, and the only thing the people had to do was to work on the gates. And a few weeks ago, we talked about the enemies of Israel, so Tobiah and Sanballat. And these guys were still so upset that Nehemiah had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. And so they were looking for a way to take Nehemiah out of the picture. Four times they sent this request to Nehemiah. Hey, come out and meet us on the plains. We want to talk to you. And their plan was to get Nehemiah to leave the city and then for them to kill Nehemiah. But every time they sent this request, Nehemiah replied, Sorry, I'm just too busy working on the wall. And then the fifth time they sent Nehemiah this letter pretty much saying that they were going to tattle to the king of Persia and say that Nehemiah was stirring up a revolt. But Nehemiah told them, you're just making this up in your head. None of it is true. And Nehemiah did not give in to their intimidation. And so they're looking for another way to discredit Nehemiah, to take him out of the picture. And so they paid this guy off. His name was Shemaiah. And the way it happened is Shemaiah uh, was shut in his house and he called for Nehemiah to meet him. So Nehemiah goes to meet him and then Shemaiah gives him this false prophecy. He's like, tonight there's going to be some men who want to kill you, which is pretty, pretty reasonable and realistic for Nehemiah. And so Shemaiah tells him, all right, let's go meet in the temple and that, that's where Nehemiah realized that this man was trying to get him to sin because the temple, at least where he was asking them to meet, was restricted to everybody except for the priests, the temple workers. And so Nehemiah did not give in to this trap. He did not discredit his name because he lived in integrity. And he did that not because he just thought, hmm, Is anybody going to figure out if I go into the temple or not? Instead, his focus was on obeying God. And in obeying God and living as a man of integrity, he kept a good name and it gave him the foundation to be able to courageously call others to live in integrity so that nobody could point at Nehemiah and say, hey, you're not walking the talk. But Nehemiah was a man of integrity, and in doing so, he made a difference for eternity. And we can too. I think that many of us are already standing right here on the first step. We meet a physical need through our job. God has given us an awesome platform, and this is a great place to be. 
But I don't think that this is where God has called us to stay. Instead, I believe God is calling us to take a step forward. And so what is that step forward for you? Maybe you can think of someone in your life who doesn't have a relationship with God. And God is calling you to help them recognize their need for him. Maybe there's someone in your life that you need to courageously call to live with integrity. Maybe you know someone who calls themselves a Christian, but their life doesn't really match up with what they're saying. Or maybe they haven't been to church in over a year, and you know what started out as maybe a legitimate excuse is no longer legitimate. And so the step that I'm asking all of us to take today, the challenge for us, is to take the two invite cards on your chairs, the ones that we normally sit down and like tuck it under the seat and don't look at it again till next week. Like I'll admit, I do that sometimes. But here's my vision for all of us. If there's about 200 people between first and second service, if all of us handed out just two invite cards, that's 400 people invited to a church 400 people who have the opportunity to connect with the spiritual family and to sit under the word of God. And I believe that God can use that to make a difference not only in the world, but also for eternity. And let's pray that God will give us the strength to do that. Heavenly Father, I thank you that this life is not all that there is and that we have such an incredible hope in you. Um, I think of that day when we will all, um, who are followers of you, worship you in glory. There will be no more pain and no more suffering. And I also, it just breaks my heart to think that there are so many people um, in our community and around the world who will not experience that, that they are not experiencing a relationship with you even now, that they don't know uh, the full life that Jesus came to offer. They don't know you as their refuge and their strength or as a help in time of trouble. And so, Father, I ask that you would break our hearts, give us a burden to reach those people, to not just uh, meet physical needs, but also to see beyond the surface, to see people's needs for you. And I'm so thankful that in the room today, there's just um, so many different backgrounds so many platforms of influences. No matter what job somebody works, I know that you place them there for a reason. And so I ask that you would just stir in all of our hearts and help us to make a difference for eternity and for your glory. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.